Hi, this is Harry from Murph, your official Murph Artificial Intelligence voice of the MHL Podding in the Corner podcast. You may have noticed that the last podcast was called the Jack Less Podcast. While that is true, it's a rather trivial matter as it also turned out to be a Harry from Murph Less Podcast as well. Due to contractual obligations between the MHL Podding in the Corner podcast and Murph, it has been several weeks since the last show. Everyone here at Murph is pleased to let you know that we have called off Super Yinza attorney, Dave Toll, and, after some quite bitter and difficult negotiations, have agreed to waive our right to acquire the MHL Podding in the Corner podcast as a development site for doctors who can't speak more than one language organization and have agreed to continue on as we previously enjoyed. With that out of the way, let the show begin. Hibernal. Hibernal is a winter West Coast IPA, and it is Andrew's Ode to Celebration, the Sierra Nevada staple that we talked about not long ago. Do you have a beer for this podcast, Mike? Yeah, we're going to talk about IPAs. Oh, gentlemen. Hey, Sean. What's up, Sean? Good to see everybody again. Let me make sure my audio is on, for God's sakes. There we go. We're good. There I am. There he is. Nice. Nice. Did uh, Howard go back to Costa Rica or? I don't know. He's incommunicado. Well, maybe there's no internet in Imperial. Um, Did he move? Did he close on the house? Seemed to make it sound like it was a month-long move. Yeah. Like everything in his life, it's very confusing. (laughs) Shall we start with hockey? No, oh, it is a hockey podcast. It's a hockey podcast. Let's do hockey. Get right into uh, Mike's power rankings. Uh, All right, here we go, Mike. Power rankings. Power rankings. There you go. I don't know if you guys can. Yeah, hear you got cool. So Mike is doing power rankings. Yeah, so, so this is the same formula that CBS used. So it's not, I am not being objective or uh, subjective in, in these. This is a formula that uh, CBS used. So I'm just continuing that because Fan, uh, Fantrax doesn't have the power rankings formula. Mm. So the team with the best record gets 16 points, and then it goes down from there. Uh, team with the most points gets 16 points. It goes down from there. And the team with the best breakdown record, and just to reiterate, the breakdown is what 
your score, what your score or how many games your score would have won if you played against every other team in the league. So it would be a, a 15 game record. So the team that has the best breakdown gets would be 15 and 0. The team that has the second best breakdown or, or has the second highest score for that week would be 14 and 1, third highest, 13 and 2, et cetera. So the breakdown is the the ongoing total uh, record for the uh, for for the breakdown score. So you can see, I think for the last two weeks, uh, the turbos have taken the top uh, the top rank from uh, from first or most recently the warthogs, and then prior to that, I think it was uh, the the flaming Caucasians. So uh, looking pretty good up at the top there. Uh, and as you'll recall, I think in the, in the note. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, from third to middle of the pack. And dropping. Yeah, and uh, if you'll recall in the No Jack podcast, we, we talked a little bit about, you know, because Dave still has a lot of skepticism about the, the power rankings. And though they, though I don't think they can be used, Dave, to your earlier question about, they can't be used to make lineup changes, but they can, they can be used to, to I think, call out uh, those or, or highlight those teams that whose records might not truly reflect how good the team is. And a few weeks ago, I pointed to two teams, Freezer Burn, because they were, I think, one in three at the time, but they had uh, they had a lot of points and a good breakdown. And I said, Freezer Burn might be on the rise. And Freezer Burn, I think, has won high score two of the past three weeks. Is that correct, Jack? Sure. Why not? Yeah. And then I also, <laughs> I also pointed out, uh, you know, Chris's dead Cobains because at the time I think they were four and one or at least three and one. Uh, but they also, they had, uh, a low point total and a, and a poor breakdown. And, uh, as you can see that Cobains have lost a couple in a row and, and are now four and three and kind of, you know, middling to low in the uh, power ranking. So just a couple of examples of what the power rankings can show, Dave. So, so Mike, so you're you're quite the prognosticator here. Pick two teams, like pick one that's going up and one that's going down. Well, I would say Jenga time. If you look at Jenga time, uh, they've just had some poor matchups. Uh, only what one or two wins on the year so far, but better than middle of the pack in terms of points and breakdown. So you could, I could see Jenga time going on some kind of run uh, over, you know, over the course of time here. Uh, so, so Jenga time might be one to look out for that, uh, whose record does not reflect how tough they truly are. On the other side, uh, hmm, <laughs> maybe. I mean, there's. I don't think there's a better example really than than Dead Cobain's. Uh, there's there's nobody that I think is out punching their um, or, or or not kind of measuring up to their record. You know, even Jack. You know, he's he his is pretty balanced right across the board. He's he's got 
you know, tied for whatever third or fourth on, on wins. Uh, but you know, better than middle of the pack on points and, uh, and breakdown. So, you know, he's kind of, he's settling down a little bit from those early, that, that early strength, but, uh, but probably where he should be. The TNH is another one, I think maybe to look out for, uh, had a couple of positive weeks, but, but more up and down, I think, uh, more up and down, not, hasn't been really steady. So I don't know. There's nobody really that, that I think is, is punching above their weight record wise more so than, um, than, than Cobain's, uh, and I would keep an eye out for freezer burn and Jenga time. Do you think Sean would be higher in the power rankings if he was making more transactions? That's a great question. I, I would let Sean answer that one. I, I just made a trade this week with Kip that I think will seal uh, a league victory for me this year. Welcome to season oh. two of the Toronto No Hockey Transaction Tracker. TNH added seven transactions over the past few podcastless weeks, bringing them up to 21 for the season. That brings TNH down to a 57 transaction pace. It's not enough, Sean. I'm getting close. I told the boys the last podcast I would be under 50 this year. Oh. <laughs> under 50. That's that's my plan. And now that I got all the box, there's not going to be many more moves made. I, I think I won the league with that trade. What was the trade? <clears throat> I gave Tip uh, Carter Hart and Trevor Zegris for Jake DeBrusque and Connor Hellebuck. Okay. Wow. Any draft yeah. picks? No draft picks, believe it or not. Wow. <laughs> Straight up trade. I guess I guess uh, Fantrax doesn't have notifications because I we used to get alerts on trades and, and transactions and now we don't we don't see that unless I guess you search for it on Fantrax. Is that the way it works? I'm assuming because I didn't get any, you know, I haven't got any notifications. You might have of to anything. set them up. Yeah. Because yeah. I get them, but that might be just because I'm commissioner and it automatically Put me on for him. Yeah, that's probably the is that the first trade of the year, and probably one of the first trades without draft picks this early in the season for a long time, and probably one of the last trades of the year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I got uh, uh, Logan Thompson doing pretty well, so yeah, and I get Carter Hart in return. Is you know, it's not stellar this year, but he's he's solid. And uh, definitely, Seagrass yeah, Seagrass is a good young kid. Um, so I think it's a good pickup. Oh, that, other, that other one was off season. Oh, that was, before, yeah, that was season. before the season, wasn't it? Yeah, I blame the floppers for the inactivity. We need a good flopper trade. Yeah, what percentage of your points do you think are coming from McDavid? Uh, well, he's actually had a couple of s- sort of slumping weeks, and that's cost me. Um, I have had a couple of losses, and it's probably just due to McDavid not scoring his typical, you know, 12, 13 points. So he's got, well, 54 points, right? 54 of your 200, so a quarter. Yeah, yeah but like I said, the last uh, couple of weeks, not, not producing. I'm not sure I have to talk to him. Sure. <laughs> And you're, you did point out your goaltender is, yeah, he's having, a, I don't know if he's the top in the league in goaltending or in ter- terms of fantasy points, but 
he's definitely been uh, a pleasant surprise. Yeah, for a rookie goaltender, that's pretty good. Yeah, fourth. Little Mark. So that's, geez, that's getting up near 50% of your total point spot from two players. Yeah, Yeah. that's what I had to get Zegers in there. Get some young, young well, blood in there. Well, our Carlson was seventy-five percent of mine, and he's calling it two per week. So that's why I've fallen. Look, look who's right below Thompson. Yeah, so he was racking up some goalie points either way. Yeah, because they're dead even. And the Flyers may not win another game this year, so Carter Hart's really not worth anything. <laughs> that's true. So, Kip, tell us about this delivery. Well, hold on a second. <laughs> Are we ready to go yeah. right in the in the Dr. Hog? Uh, we can go there if you want to. Yeah, we can go. <laughs> uh, that, that would be my daughter. <laughs> Which one's that? Is that but, Pey- Peyton or Peyton? Say hi, Peyton. Peyton. Tell Dr. Jennifer hi. Okay. Hi, Peyton. <laughs> All right, here you go, Kip. We'll get Welcome to Trust Me. This won't hurt at all with Dr. Hogg. This week, Dr. Hogg will teach us about labor and delivery. Just in case anyone has become or identifies as a woman since the last podcast and is wondering about the whole pregnancy thing. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, so uh, uh, obviously I can't say too much about the particulars of this delivery, um, just in case somebody's watching and puts two and two together and they find out who I was, who I delivered that stuff. So, so everything's hypothetical. So everything that we talk about is all hypothetical. Okay. But the person that gave birth was a woman. Is that correct? You're hypothetically, not allowed to say. hypothetically, she was a woman. Okay. Yes. And hypothetically, she delivered a baby and hypothetically I was there. <laughs> all alleged. All alleged. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, probably the there's a few things in emergency medicine that kind of give us a little bit of anxiety. Um, I think Sean probably will attest to that as well. So, you know, baby deliveries are probably up there. Um, you know, infants or babies that are in trouble or children that are, you know, struggling um, are tough. And then, you know, things like, uh, you know, trauma, um, you know, trying to, you know, crack somebody's chest or something like that, you know, something that's somebody dies in front of you and you're trying to save them. So, so deliveries, I mean, you know, they're supposed to be planned, right? For the most part, you're supposed to, so you're supposed to have an OB doctor, you, you, you go and you make routine appointments and, you know, you, you set up a, a delivery date, so to speak. You got these, these uh, expected times when you're supposed to deliver, um, so you kind of got a little bit of a window of of when you're probably going to deliver. And then, you know, towards the end of it, the, um, they start to kind of get you ready for delivery. And you have a hospital that you go to that's, you know, that's what they do. They deliver babies. And um, the other scenario is when that doesn't occur and they decide to come into like a small ER that has no OB capability. Um, it's just me (laughs) and, you know, some nurses. And, uh, so this hypothetical woman came in, um, and, uh, obviously in labor, she's, you know, screaming, crying, um, you know, contracting every couple minutes. 
And, uh, you know, shortly after, shortly after her arrival, her water breaks. Um, so I'm like, okay, this, the baby's coming. I, as much as I don't want it to come, <laughs> it, it's coming. So, um, I have no choice. So, uh, you know, we kind of get ready best we can. It's, this is like, she walks in, you know, five minutes later, her water breaks. So it's, it's like pretty quick. Things are fast. Um, <laughs> interesting thing was it it happened at like 6 35 a.m and my shift is over at seven <laughs> so you so know you're trying to move things along well yeah I, I was hoping to delay it um so <laughs> the, the, the other doc can t- take care of it but um no she she came in at the uh at a, at a, I, was, I guess a good time um so so within a few minutes, she's uh, she's already waters broke, um, and she's, you know, she's actively pushing now. And like I said the baby's head's crowning right now, so it's just a matter of of you know, just letting this baby come out. And it, you know, for the most part, like you you saw, like Dave mentioned, I think on TV, it's you know, you grab some water, or whatever, wash your hands, and uh, just let nature runs it runs to take its course. But um for me as a ER doc, I know all the bad things that can happen. So I, I'm constantly thinking, oh shit, okay, is her foot coming out? Is the butt's coming out? Is it the head coming out? Is you know, is the baby gonna be, you know, blue when they come out, not breathing? Am I, you know, I have is mom gonna, you know, have bleeding problems? Is she gonna, you know, whatever. So I'm thinking of all the bad things that can happen. And, you know, other people around are like, Oh, we're having a baby. Yay. Yay. <laughs> this is great. Um, you know, nurses are running around like, Oh, this is so fun. And I'm like, fuck. <laughs> we have a question from Jack. Did this hypothetical uh, person who had the baby, did she, um, did she have normal care in her pregnancy or was this one of those just show up at the ER and have it taken care of? So, so hypothetically, um, she did probably not have the best prenatal care. Um, there was several issues, um, including, uh, the potential for the baby to be, you know, in withdrawal or, um, have issues, um, on delivery. So, um, she was already sort of a high risk, um, and hypothetically she was preterm, um, somewhere in, you know, before 39 weeks, let's just say. And, uh, uh, so yeah, not the best prenatal care. Dave. Uh, was Sean there and did he help or not help at all? So no, unfortunately I, I, Sean was there in spirit. Um, I could, I could feel him over my shoulder. Um, cause he's a good dude. And sometimes I think, what would Sean do? <laughs> but he was not there cause this was at, uh, Hempfield. Neighborhood hospital. Oh, allegedly. Hypothetically. Hypothetically, this was at <laughs> some hospital that I work at, not the one that Sean does. All right. As a follow up, as an ER doctor, you have a woman about to give birth, or you have a guy who just came in who got knifed or shot, and you're the only doctor. Who goes first? Well, why did he get shot and why did he get knifed? I mean, if he was a bad dude, I'm just going for the baby and oh really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, I wasn't expecting uh, that one. I think I you have to 
I think you have to decide. I mean, I guess I would say that you know, mom and baby are probably going to deliver okay without my help for the most part. Um, the guy who's knifed or gunshot or whatever, I'm probably going to have to try to work on him. So I probably would pick the guy. That's what Sean uh, Let's go with uh, let's go, Mike T. So, given that you're in an ER or hypothetically in an ER um, environment, do you have like stirrups, and are you are you doing like the cut to to open up some more space there, or is this going to be true old fashioned, you know, lay on a lay on a table and push out? Yeah. So we we do have like an OB kit, so. Um, it's like a package of all the little tools and stuff that we need. Some, some scissors, some clamps, some, some gowns. Um, you know, so we have like this little kit that we kind of get prepared. This was pretty quick. Like I said, uh, um, not a whole lot of time, you know, from the time she checks in until the time the baby's out. So, uh, so we try to, you know, pretty quick, um, trying to get prepared. Um, we do have like a, a stretcher that, you know, folds down so you can kind of get them up in, in like a stir position. But she was, uh, she was in the stretcher and, um, we weren't no time to move her to these, this other stretcher that we have. So she just delivered right there on the bed. Um, and, uh, I didn't even have time to, uh, to do what's what we call, we call it an episiotomy is when we cut, you know, that area down there. Um, mm-hmm. to make more room for that, you know, head and baby to come out. Is that uh, the medical term? <laughs> yeah. That area down there. Yeah. That taint, that taint it. <laughs> um, Jack, do you have a question? Yeah. I want to follow up on Dave's first question. If Sean had been there, would it have been something like this? All right, your resident alien card has you restricted to the island of Manhattan. Where are you going, Reggie? Well, it's my wife. She's... Well, look. Oh. All right. Okay, no big deal. So you're Tommy Lee, right? Sean is uh, Will, right? And, uh, man, you handle this. What? Man! Yep. That's... No, it's easy. You just catch. Are you sure he knows what he's doing? He does it all the time. Let the men work. Oh, oh. Okay, uh, yeah. Yeah. Hey. Okay. Um, damn, man. Okay. Something's peeking. Proactive missile. Fourth of Madison. You hit Well, we're, we're meeting someone. Who you meet? Well, it's a ship. A ship? I didn't see a departure plans for today. You didn't? No. Well, it's, uh, well, it's an emergency. Goodbye, Ace. What kind of emergency? What's the rush to get off the planet on? We just don't like the neighborhood anymore. Just some of the uh, new arrivals. What new arrivals? Have anything to do with the crasher from last night? Help me, man. Oh, man. Nice. Oh, man. Oh, okay. Look. Oh, man. <laughs> Congratulations, Reg. It's a squid. Okay, man. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not sure. I think that uh, like Sean, Sean kind of excels when bad things happen. So I think Sean would be probably not like Will Smith. He'd be a little bit more. Uh, 
<laughs> More like me. Just calm and just do it, get it done. That's right. <laughs> uh, all right, so we got to go back. Jack, you have another question to follow up? Or oh, you no, done? I need to lower my hand. Sorry. Lower your hand, Jack. Sorry. I just learned how to raise it. <laughs> Dave Rhodes. So you had mentioned uh, kind of a surprising stat, at least I thought, was um, how many uh, babies have you given birth to in the last, I don't know, 25 years? Yeah, so – so typically, like I said, when, when we do training um, in like residency, we do a couple months of rotation through OB. So we'll get a bunch of deliveries then, you know, and that's a controlled setting. It's nice. It's happy. Everybody's, you know, got family around and it's all fun and joyous. And these are babies that, you know, are coming out the right way. And um, so so those are kind of controlled environments. So, you know, I've probably done about 10 of those. And then as far as like a emergency room, those are what's kind of called a precipitous labor. And those are typically either preterm, they're not ready. Um, you know, anything goes. And uh, again, it's a little bit, um, uh, it's a little nerve wracking and stuff just because you just don't know what's going to happen. Um, like I said, 99% of the time, it's probably um, very natural and everything's going to be fine. But when you start to think of what all the, all the possibilities are, um, it starts to get a little bit overwhelming. But so I've only, yeah, I've only done one successful delivery. There was one I had probably, hypothetically, this was a long time ago, um, that was a stillborn that um, came out foot first, uh, but the baby was already already dead. So, mm-hmm. so I kind of delivered a, you know, stillborn, which is not not fun at all. No. Much better when they start crying and mom's happy and dad's happy and that kind of stuff. Do you have tips for us or the viewing public? If we are faced with a delivering situation, what we can do and is boiling water and newspapers (laughs) essential to the process? Yeah, I I don't think you need water. Um, I would say don't panic. That's the first thing. It's it is probably the most natural thing. It's been happening right for a long time. Moms deliver at home all the time, um, uh, and before they had hospitals and all that kind of stuff, it was, you know. So it's typically a very natural process. Um, I would say just get ready for a lot of mess. It's it's a lot. They're slippery suckers too. Um, when they come out, they're covered with water. You know, the, the amniotic fluid and stuff. The, there's blood. Um, you know, mom's pushing. There might be you know a little bit of stool in there. There's you know there's all kinds of stuff that comes out with that. Like there's um, they talk about meconium. Meconium is just like the the stool of the baby that's sort of in that. Am- amniotic fluid and that could sometimes comes comes out like thick black tar um so that can be a mess um and there's like a there's like a cheesy sort of stuff that's all over the kid um so the the what you do want to be prepared is for the for the baby you know they're they're coming out and they're you don't want them to get like too hypothermic so you want them to get warm right away so after they have to deliver, um, cut the cord, um, and then you typically 
put the baby right up against mom's skin and then she can just kind of hug the baby and uh, that gives a lot of warmth to the baby. We have typically, it, um, yeah, I mean, you kind of clean them off a little bit, oh, okay. get some of the, some of that, most of that stuff off first. So dry them off, um, let mom hold the baby. And, um, you know, some of the places, like I said, they'll have like an isolate, like a, a warmer that they'll put the baby in for a little while, just kind of make sure the baby's safe and, um, breathing. Okay. And, um, you know, then eventually, you know, give the baby to mom, but, uh, is it kind of like one of those things that McDonald's uses to put Big Macs in before they're served like that? Yeah. Kind of like a little, yeah, a little heater, um, yeah. put some lights on them and yeah, cause we all have those laying around. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I did have a, uh, a real quite well, kind of real question. Would it be inappropriate to ask about tattoos in this kind of situation on the, uh, on the patient? Uh, yeah, I would say probably not. It's a hypothetical. No. Stay away from that. Yeah, I would. Hypothetically, uh, this person did have some tattoos, but I did not <laughs> ask anything about it. Um, Fair enough. Jack. Uh, actually, this is this question is for Sean. Um, have Sean, have you ever been uh, close to playing catcher in a hypothetical delivery <laughs> situation? Um, three times. Wow. Three times. Delivered one in the back of the Kip will know this uh, 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 back of an ambulance with Brian Rose Kip on our way to McGee from from the ER. Nice, yeah, couldn't wait, and we 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 did it right in the back of the ambulance. So wow. it is a it is a, a a cool scenario, and I agree with you. It's probably the most uh, natural thing that nature does um, until until it isn't natural and that's where that's where it gets scary you know because we don't we don't do it all the time you know and just like all the other stuff we don't do all the time we we're trained for it but when you don't see it or do it all the time that's when it gets scary so and, and you, you kind of pucker a little bit but yeah. but it's usually pretty easy like you said it's it's pretty natural and basically just catch you play catch so, yeah. Dave, you got a question? Yeah. So it's probably important to note that after it, the baby comes out, you clamp the cord, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, after the baby comes out, obviously the placenta is still stuck in mom and there's a little cord coming out and it's attached to the baby. And um, so, yeah, it kind of, uh, baby comes out. Um, kind of start warming, clean off the baby, dry them a little bit, and then cut the cord. Um, so basically, we put, we put a clamp eh, about six or eight centimeters or a little bit away from the – you give a little bit of room there, basically. You don't want to put the clamp, like, right up against the belly button. That's going to eventually fall off anyway, so you don't have to worry about it. And, um, and then you put a clamp on the, the mom side or the placenta side, and then just cut in between them. And um, fortunately, the dad was there at the delivery. So I said, hey, dad, do you want to cut this thing? He's like, yeah. So so dad cut the cord. And um, and then the placenta, you kind of just hopefully delivers spontaneously by itself. Um, usually a few minutes later. And this, hypothetically, this one um, did deliver pretty quickly right afterwards and seemed to be intact. You don't want the like half of the placenta to stay in there that's 
that's bad for mom. Then she'd have to have probably a surgical procedure. Can I just say how ill-prepared I was for the whole placenta delivery process? And I, I they didn't teach that one to me back in Catholic school and, and when they were teaching this stuff. So when that thing came out and the way it looked, it was frankly shocking. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, and, that, and it's like, that's my wife. And just, <laughs> that came out of, yeah, I know. And it, it's, it is kind of bizarre. Something out of that Will Smith video. Yeah, uh, exactly. Totally. It's alien looking. Jenny's Gen- sworn to secrecy on how Dave reacted <laughs> to the first uh, delivery that Patty had. No, she saw the second one. Oh, the second one? Okay. She saw the second one, okay. where, where I was much were, okay. more... Uh, uh, experienced in the ways of that grossness. By the way, delivery is probably the most gross thing I've ever seen in my life. It's it's messy. I mean, it's, it, it's a lot of yeah, it's a lot of stuff. There's and things like, coming out of every everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> and that's probably one of my biggest fears is is catching that baby is dropping it. I'm like, it's like you they're they're all over. You're like just kind of like oh geez, let me. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> fortunately, yeah. Fortunately, this one, like I said, we had her on a stretcher and she was like halfway on the stretcher. So um, she pushed hypothetically and she pushed <laughs> and it, I mean, it really shot out of there like a cannon. And I was, <laughs> I was like, holy shit. Um, and I think I did say that in my mind, but um, yeah, it came out pretty quick. And because uh, it was, it was smaller than it was preterm. So, a little bit smaller, which is sometimes nice because it's the it's very easy. The mom kind of pushes out and is it's kind of coming out pretty quickly. So, what, what were what were the stats? And sorry, I know Jack has his hand up, but what were the stats? Like how many pounds? How many ounces? Allegedly, allegedly, hypothetically, hypothetically, this was about three pounds four ounces. Wow. Oh wow! Yeah, and then you have the the. Like the incubator and stuff. I'm sorry, Jack. The incubator <laughs> and stuff for the that's kind of an unusual situation, right? Yeah. So yeah, we don't actually have the incubator here. So at our site, because it, like I said, we may deliver one every. It's actually the first time in, in the, uh, in the two years that all these four little neighborhood hospitals. I'm the first one to deliver, so it doesn't happen very often. So we don't keep one of those. So that's why we pretty much clean the baby off, put it right against mom. And that's kind of like the, the best warmth for the baby. The problem is, you know, if the baby would need, let's say the baby needs an airway or it's not breathing and needs resuscitated. Um, that's a, that's a, a tough one, especially because again, if you're at a hospital that has all the capabilities, um, they have all the, the people, all the, all the tools, all the stuff that really resuscitate a baby quickly. Um, whereas we're just kind of like, we'll, we'll do our best. So then would you hypothetically send that patient to another hospital that could take care of her? Yep. Yep. So we basically, we call a a neonatal team that actually comes out to the hospital. Yeah. They're like on call and they just, so we get it in and, you know, mom gets transported to the, to the, the place where she was going to, probably deliver anyway. And then, uh, the baby would go to, to fortunately, the, the, a lot of times it may not be the same place, but this would be the same place for her. Um, so she went to, they both went to the same place and, but they picked up the baby and then put the baby in like a, a little bit of an incubator. Probably will spend probably 
I don't know, probably a couple of weeks in a intensive care unit for until the baby gets a little bit bigger. Until the baby gets there, did they put that baby in like one of those pizza warmers that they deliver pizzas in? Hmm. Kind of similar to that, but, but not quite. Think of like Bubble Boy, um, John Travolta. They can reach in and kind of do things. Was the uh, hypothetical mom fully at nine months or given the small weight or no? It's no, she was, yeah. She was, under, she was preterm, yeah. And can you so hypothetically, on, can you hypothetically she was around 35 weeks. Okay, and can you hypothetically comment on any tattooing issues the father had? Um. I know he had tattoos, but I couldn't, I don't remember what they were. No, no teardrop stuff. <laughs> no, no. Okay. Yeah, they were, I mean, they were both very happy. They, I, it was funny. Um, hypothetically, she said, Hey, can I get an epidural? I'm like, um, too late. Yeah, sorry. Um, this baby's coming out in like two minutes. There's no epidural. <laughs> Hypothetically, did they come in together or separately? They were together. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's good. That's good. I, I think he was driving. At least I hope he was driving. And the whole epidural thing, like how much, like how late is too late? You know what I mean? Yeah. If they're if they're in active labor, um, you can't because you're for an epidural. You know they have to have the mom kind of lay on her side or sitting upright and she has to be completely still. She can't be in labor. So once you're in labor, there's, there's no chance. Oh, so that's the main reason. Like what if you could really hold still giving labor, doing labor? Uh, that would be tough. I mean, again, I, we don't do this very often. And obviously in the ER, we would typically, we, if we had an anesthesiologist that was in the hospital and would come down and potentially if it was a long labor, um, let's say it's the first baby for the, for mom, those labors are typically a lot longer. So she may be in labor for hours and then they would probably, um, you know, do an epidural, but hypothetically, this was not her first child. And, um, it was like, you know, like four or five pushes and baby was out. So. Okay. I, I got a good question for you. Let's say hypothetically she came in and while she was in labor, she also had a gunshot wound. <laughs> what do you treat first? The gunshot wound she has or the baby that's coming out? You always, you always save mom first. It's a, uh, it's you, the gunshot. It's all. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You save, save mom first. Whatever's if you save mom, then you might have a chance of saving baby. If you save baby, you got no, no chance of saving mom. So, what if the baby also has a gunshot? <laughs> Maybe well, just like a flesh one, just recording like in ear. Recording in progress. <laughs> um, yeah, that would be tough. Um, I think you would have. Hopefully, Sean's next to me, and he could take the baby, and I could take the mom, or vice versa. Or we can we make can. a trade and forget about both of them. <laughs> so that could, that could happen. So, so Sean, of your three, none of them involved a gunshot to either the mom or the baby. Uh, hypothetically, no. Okay. <laughs> what if you were shot? <laughs> Would you treat yourself or the or deliver the baby? Well, I mean, if I'm the only one there, I probably should save myself first so I can take care of the baby and mom. But is that part of the Hippocratic oath, though? 
I don't know. Yeah, we should I, probably look into the fine print. Yeah, there's there is probably some asterisks at the bottom footnotes. <laughs> if you're shot, a lot of references to the Greek stuff. <laughs> we did have a video, Jack. Do you have? Uh, do yeah, you have the, I've got the video. The animation. Oh uh, yeah. Oh, awesome! I couldn't really show a real live video, so we did more animated view. I think it actually will be better. And will During this video cause us to be pulled off of The YouTube? first stage of labor lasts about 12 to 19 hours and starts when your baby settles lower into your pelvis. In response, your cervix begins to efface or become thinner and dilate or widen. During this time, you may feel strong, regular contractions occurring every 5 to 20 minutes and lower back pain and cramping that doesn't go away. You may see a brownish or reddish mucus discharge, which could be the mucus plug at the opening of your cervix falling out. Your water may break, which can either be a large gush of fluid or a continuous trickle. If you experience any of these symptoms, contact your doctor or midwife to see if you should go to the hospital. At the beginning of stage two of labor, which can last from a few minutes to three hours, your cervix is fully dilated to 10 centimeters and your baby's head has moved beyond the cervical opening into your birth canal. During this stage, you will begin to push your baby out. You may instinctively push when you feel the urge, or you may need coaching from your doctor, midwife, or labor nurse as to when to push and when to rest. In a normal delivery, your baby's head will rotate to face your back. During active labor, your uterus is divided into an active segment that contracts, pushing the baby downward, and a flexible passive segment that remains relaxed, stretching to provide more room for the baby to pass through. In some cases, when the top of your baby's head appears or crowns, your doctor may make a small cut called an episiotomy to enlarge the vaginal opening. Then you will continue pushing your baby out. As your baby's head passes through the birth canal, it molds into an elongated shape. An elongated head shape will resolve itself within a few days as the skull bones shift back into place. After your baby's head exits the birth canal, his or her head and shoulders will rotate to help the shoulders pass through the birth canal. Your baby's shoulders are delivered one after the other in order to fit through your pelvis once the shoulders emerge, the rest of your baby slides out easily. After your baby is born, his or her umbilical cord will be cut. In stage three of labor, which may last five to 30 minutes, mild contractions will help push the placenta out of the uterus. During this stage, you and your baby may begin bonding through skin-to-skin -skin contact and breastfeeding. So a lot less messy on the animated view yeah <clears throat> as but well you, as every tv show and movie they've ever made yeah yeah so that's that's it i think all you guys could probably do this i think uh you know just let it come out it's just natural just uh just catch it when it comes out so we shouldn't do the episiotomy right away no nah, i mean yeah i, I probably wouldn't you know it, it yeah, how, do you, how do you know like when to do that? So it seems subjective. 
It is. It is. It's um, most, uh, again, most, most of these are going to be delivered by an obstetrician who's does this all the time and delivers, you know, hundreds of babies um, or thousands of babies a year. So they, they kind of get an idea of, of when, you know, how big the baby is, what the size is, how big's the head is mom going to be able to, you know, get this baby through that. So they'll, they'll kind of pick and choose um, and decide, you know, it is sort of subjective um, for like, again, this baby here, uh, um, I was actually thinking about doing the episiotomy. And as I was thinking about doing it, reaching for scissors, the baby just shot out of there like a cannon. So I was like, okay, no episiotomy needed. Jack, you have a uh, question? Is all of this good for England? I mean, whatever you're teaching us now, it'll work the same in England? Yes, yes. There's just a little bit of a, um, an accent on when you talk about the delivery. They're bad teeth but, if they get turned the wrong way. Yeah. Okay. They'll give birth on the different side of the body or something like that? Nah, I think it's universal. I think that little turn to you know the to the, to the right. canal is pretty pretty universal it's not to the right or to the left yeah maybe maybe in the southern hemisphere maybe australian babies they turn upright <laughs> i don't know just when we need a chris all right, right. he's probably delivered like 10 babies i bet you he's delivered a baby yeah he's For probably sure. like yeah I've done that. He, he may have delivered a baby elephant he may have delivered himself right now <laughs> all right Excellent Dr. Right. Hogg segment. That was a good one. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Kip. Very timely. Yeah. Beer. Seemed like the, way, the right way to go. Babies to beer. Babies to beer. Well. So I just poured an IPA into my favorite. Recording bottle. stopped. My so that's a long video. <laughs> oh, all right. I love that beer. Yeah. So we've got the Stone IPA, one of the OGs. Uh, IPA, India Pale Ale, as everybody probably knows. Just a little bit of quick history on the on the IPA. Kind of started in the 1800s in um, in England, Britain, when they were colonizing or trying to colonize. I'm not sure the whole history between uh, Britain and India, but there were a lot of Brits in India at the time, and so a number of uh, breweries or a few uh, breweries at least were exporting beer from England to, uh, to India to take advantage of that new market. And there were a lot of uh, English folks down there. There are a few different stories or myths about the, the um, you know, the history of the IPA. One of them was that, you know, the, the uh, English had troops, you know, uh, serving in India, or yeah, serving in India, and when the English beers were shipped down there, uh, the brewers hopped them up a little bit more because hops serve as a uh, uh, what's the term I'm looking for as a uh, preservative. They, they help, yeah, preservative. They help keep the the beer uh, from going bad uh, longer, and that's a you know it's a long hike from England down to uh, India. And so they would hop the beers up a little bit more and the, and the English troops got used to that hopped up beer. And so they demanded it whenever they got back home. Uh, I think more 
Uh, more accurate is just that it was an export market for beer, and there, you know, there was some uh, validity to the preservative, and so, uh, you know, so the the uh, English brewers were taking advantage of that market, and it became uh, then a popular beer in England, which to that point had been more focused on porters and stouts and the darker uh, darker beers. So. Uh, Fast forward from that, you know, the English kind of actually let the IPAs kind of go by the wayside. And then the American craft beer scene kind of came on and uh, in the 80, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s. And the uh, the success of Sierra Nevada, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, which was a hoppier, somewhat more balanced, but, but still a little bit on the hoppy side, Pale Ale. Uh, some of the brewers, particularly in California, were saying, hey, we're going to do a even hoppier version of what had been called a English IPA uh, because the Americans just for some reason latched on to hops and wanted to make the uh, the American version of beers hoppier. And so, um, you know, Stone uh, had, had one of the originals, uh, Lagunitas, and uh, they, you know, slowly became more and more popular. And uh, Kip, I'll go ahead if you want to ask your question during that pause. Uh, yeah, no, I was just, uh, you kind of mentioned like um, initially, like there were soldiers and stuff like that, or like a military type of thing. Do you think, are you better as a soldier if you have a couple beers in you? Like some, like when I golf, like a couple beers are good, but like 10 beers, I'm not so good. And then one, you know, no beers. I'm like, so do you think you're a better soldier if you? I don't, you know, I think that's all, you know, personal, not just personal preference, but also just how people react to even the tiniest amounts of alcohol. But there is a rumor that George Washington, when he was a general, would always set up camp within a mile of a brewery, distillery, or cidery to make sure that the troops had some, you know, something to keep them going, something that, you know, just to, to, to make that battle uh, just a little more refreshing or take the edge off uh, either before, during, or after. So I think there's a little validity to that. Yeah, I think they had a gunshot wound. Always better. <laughs> right, the more right. beer, the better. But that's what I'm thinking. Like sometimes a couple beers kind of, make you kind of have no fear a little bit. So I'm thinking yeah. before every shift, before I work, I should drink a couple beers. Cause then I'd be like, bring it on babies. Come on. Yeah, yeah, Mike, you were in the air force. Did they have that in basic training at all? No, we, we weren't allowed to drink for the first, I, th I don't think we were allowed to drink in basic training at all. And then once I got to, uh, once I got to, uh, training school in Illinois, we were allowed to go to the, uh, to the airman's club and, and actually down a few beers. So, but I may, may have changed that role. Cause you know, we're talking 35 years ago now. Mike, knowing, knowing you as we do, uh, how did you ever survive basic training? Yeah, it, it was, it was tough to be honest with you. Uh, I didn't go through like DTs or anything, but you're also in it with a, like 30 or 40 other guys who are all going through the same thing. So you just kind of, and six weeks ends up not being all that long. You get into a rhythm, you get into a routine and you know that there's something at the, at the end of the, you know, at, there's light at the end of the tunnel there. Is it like full metal jacket? Yeah. Or, or band of brothers. 
I mean, it has some components. You get some, you get some, uh, some drill instructors or training instructors that, you know, they've got a, an edge to them. And, you know, the, the best thing that you can do, or at least my approach was if they don't know my name, I'm doing all right. Uh, so I just tried to, and, and obviously nobody wanted to try to pronounce my last name. I was called alphabet, uh, Tasmania devil, pterodactyl, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I, you know, <laughs> so, so they didn't want to say my name and I didn't want them to say my name. So we, we, we had a symbiotic relationship there. Uh, but it, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't too, too bad. I was like during basic, tr- during basic training, did you ever take the, uh, the, the bar of soap and the, and the pillowcase and hit anybody or did anyone do that to you? No, we didn't do that. We didn't have any kind of hazings like that. There, Yeah. everybody everybody pretty much got along there might have been like one fight in the whole six weeks that just yeah it was it was relatively it was also the air force we were we kind of had the easiest basic training of all four services that has absolutely no no uh you know uh there's no uh i guess uh relation correlation no correlation between it being the easiest and the reason i went so Jack, go ahead. What shithole country is your name from? <laughs> <laughs> Polish. Hey, yeah, so they won yesterday. I was, I was happy to see this mm-hmm. one yesterday. Yeah. 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 Lewandowski was crying. Yeah, good match. Dave. Um, hey, come back to me. I already forgot it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, so going back to the IPA, the the other you know so so just some of the uh some of the the um not mechanics of it but the uh the the typical ipa is going to be between five and a half and seven and a half percent then you have other very and and you're going to have it's you know more bitter uh so it's going to be a slightly darker ever so slightly darker and more uh more hop forward than a American pale ale or an English pale ale. And there is an, still an English IPA that is more, uh, a little more balanced, a little more malt uh, component to it. But the American IPAs are, are typically hop forward. Uh, you might get a little bit of a, of, of a uh, bread crust kind of malt character to it, but it's, it's more about the hops. A lot of those sea hops that we talked about in the old hop segment, Centennial, uh, Cascade, Chinook, uh, uh, Simcoe, you know, those those are very typical for uh, for American IPAs. And then there are a lot of, and I'll get your questions in just a second, there are a lot of uh, shoot uh, Declaration to- check. Declaration check. Uh, Sim- Simcoe is an S hop, not a C hop. Well, no, I... <laughs> I didn't. Oh, burn! <laughs> I I stopped with the Centennial Chinook and uh, Cascade, and then went on to other hops. But that's that's perfectly fair. There are a lot of offshoots to IPAs as well. The uh, you know you're going to have double IPAs, triple IPAs, white IPAs, which are uh, similar to Belgian Wits or. Uh, you know, fruit IPAs, which might actually have fruit, uh, fruit additions to them. So black IPAs, which are, you know, um, 
brewed with with a uh, a darker malt that that gives it that darker um, the, the the darker color. But uh, and then obviously more recently there's what's known as a New England or hazy IPA, and um, those were were uh, made. Uh, more popular by breweries in New England, particularly the Alchemist, uh, which is owned by a Pittsburgher named John Kimmich. And the Alchemist came out with Hetty Topper, which for years was the you know beer advocate number one beer in the um, in in the world. And that was one of the original hazy IPAs, which uh, were brewed with a lot more uh, lot more hop additions, dry hop additions, and more. Uh, like flaked oats were used to give it that deeper texture and, um, and more opaque, uh, you know, you can't see through those, those hazy IPAs. So a lot more body to them. Uh, let's go to Kip and then Dave. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, you all know that I, I, I'm not very good at math. So but my question is, you know, what makes it a double IPA? Because it's not really this double amount of, Alcohol of no. ABV, right? Yeah. So why, why do you make? How's it a double? Well, or a triple. So the I think the technical name, if you look at the BJCP, the beer uh, beer judge certification process, the BJCP does the uh, the the technical notes on all the different styles of beer, and I think they call the a double IPA technically an imperial IPA. Uh, so Imperial has that, you know, you can have an Imperial brown ale, which is, it's not just a brown ale, it's a big brown ale. And Imperial typically connotes uh, more, just a higher ABV. Uh, but people kind of cheat or they try to market them and, and call it a double because it sounds, it's easier to understand. It's not, it's not your single IPA, it's your double. So it's going to be bigger, a lot bigger, but I think for a double IPA, it's, it's typically seven and a half to 10% uh, ABV. Cool. Thanks, Mike. Yeah. Dave. <clears throat> Mike, back to basic training. <laughs> Do you consider the Coast Guard military or branch of the military or do you look down on them i never looked down on the coast guard i actually wanted to join the coast guard but at the time so remember i was going in in 1984 there was a pretty big recession at that time and in pittsburgh in particular uh there were a lot of there was a fairly big exodus uh with the with the uh you know the the decline of the steel industry and whatnot and so there was a wait of like a year to get into the Coast Guard. And for me, I was able to get into the Air Force in like six months. But I think the other, to your technical question, do I consider the Coast Guard a part of the armed forces? Technically, the Coast Guard is run by the uh, Department of Transportation. So it is not run by the Department of Defense. And it has a more limited purview uh, in that uh, you know, I believe the Coast Guard's purview is only within a certain number of miles off of the coast of the U.S., at, whereas, you know, the other branches of the military can serve pretty much anywhere in the world. So uh, just some differences in, in, uh, in, in what they were meant to be and who oversees them. A quick follow-up. Can you define purview and spell it, please? <laughs> P-U-R-V-I-E-W uh, just means kind of what is within your your realm, your your domain. Okay. That's amazing. Uh, He's a wordsmith. Uh, me? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so, Mike, um, 
Oh, let me put my hand down. So I know like Navy has the Navy SEALs. Um, Army has like Green Beret, Rangers kind of thing. And I, I know that the Air Force has like one of the toughest um, sort of brand of, of elite soldier. Um, and I can't remember the name of it, but I they can't either. But they, I mean, I I hear the Air Force that sort of elite training is actually one of the toughest of all of them. But um, did you ever think about like going into that next level, that elite sort of? No, I don't. I don't really consider myself elite, so I wasn't gonna go, <laughs> go in that direction. It was like it was a it was a way for me to. Uh, so my my quick you know the genesis of why I joined is. I went into, or I didn't want to go to college after, uh, after high school, but my mother talked me into taking, uh, four classes at, uh, CCAC community college of Allegheny County, because that was the way I could stay on my father's insurance. And she, and my mom was like looking at the money aspect. She said, all right, you know, just go to take these four classes and you, you know, you can stay on your dad's insurance. So I took the four classes entering the no edit zone. I got a withdrawal, an incomplete, a failure, and a D. So I literally whiffed on my report card. Whoa. And so when, uh, because I just didn't care, I didn't want to be there. Uh, I would rather listen to D, get, you know, I'd go to, uh, I'd drive over to Northside and then listen to the DV morning show and then go hang out in the uh, library with my friends. So, uh, so I bring home that report card and my mother says, all right, well, obviously you don't want to do this. What are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to join the air force. And she said, good idea. So that was, that's how I ended up in. It wasn't like these, uh, visions of, of, you know, being Rambo, uh, or, uh, or, or a green beret or whatnot. And also at that time, so I was in from 84 to 89, and uh, I won't make this a declaration, but I wouldn't be shocked if that five-year period was the most tame five-year period in the history of the U.S. in terms of military conflict. Where you know the it was kind of the end of the Cold War. Russia was was losing its uh, its grip, or the Soviet Union was kind of in the process of, uh, of, of, uh, self-destructing and there just, there wasn't a lot of activity. So it was pretty much just a job. Uh, Jack. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm researching. I'll pass the cap for whoever's next. All right. Hi, Patty, Dave. Um, yeah. <laughs> so in the service, you had cool nicknames like Goose and Maverick. I was wondering what your nickname was in the Air Force. Well, and do you get uh, to pick your own? That's a good I question. Was, I told you, no, I didn't get to pick my own. I, I was called a lot of things in basic training, like I said, literally, you know, Tasmanian Devil, Alphabet. Like Alphabet's uh, good. Alphabet. We should call you Alphabet. Yeah. And then whenever I got to my base, like the bases where I was assigned in New Me first New Mexico and, and then Hawaii, uh, people would ask me what my friends called me and I'd just say Ty because that was what my friends called me back home was Ty, T-Y. And so I was mostly called Ty, though at one point somebody that I did was not a big fan of uh, tried to get people to call me Biff for some reason. Uh, that that didn't last long and, and uh, I wasn't really fond of that, but yeah, I had, had a bunch of them. Did but you get him a smackdown? 
Not really, uh, but I, I tried to not engage him too much. But mostly Ty. Ty was the, the one that kind of stood the test of time. Okay, it's not as catchy as Maverick, but... <laughs> no. Jack, uh, you still researching? Still researching, yeah. Okay, right. I, I got another question then. All right. Um, Air Force basic training as hard or easier or harder than the other branches, and how are they different? There, and and why did you pick the Air Force and not the other ones? Well, I, I think I mentioned... Uh, well, so I had it down to Air Force, Coast Guard, or Navy. So uh, I kind of eliminated, I, I was big on the Navy initially, but I eliminated it when, like, I couldn't get any assurances from the Navy recruiters that I wouldn't end up on a submarine because I would have been fine ending up on a ship. I didn't want to be on a submarine for months at a time. So I said, yeah, I'm just not going to take the chance. So I eliminated the Navy. Coast Guard, the wait was, uh, like I said, uh, a year to get in, and I just didn't want to wait that long. And Air Force was, I didn't never really considered the Army or the Marines. Marines was a 13-week boot camp and uh, just wasn't interested in that. Army was just kind of plain Jane, or not plain Jane, but, you know, that's where most people go is in the Army. There's 500,000, I think, in the Army, if not more. And so I, um, I was just like, I'll, I'll do the air force. It's different, but it's also a shorter, uh, training camp at six weeks and, uh, you know, not as, uh, although it was in, it was in Lackland air force for Lackland air force base in San Antonio, Texas. And I was there in the summer. And so it was a pretty freaking hot, uh, Kip and oh, I'm Jack ready. I'm ready Jack. now. You're ready. Yeah, I'm ready now. All right, first, go ahead. Hold on. All future Mike T segments will now say Alphabet T. Okay. <laughs> wow, we had to wait a long while for that. Well, that was that was in the middle of the research. Um, I was going to bring you back to beer. Why West Coast yeah. IPAs? Why was the West Coast IPA the craft beer thing? Uh, I haven't done a ton of research on that, but... I think it was one of the uh, original kind of uh, double IPAs or imperial IPAs was uh, Vinny uh, uh, uh Pliny the Elder or Pliny the Younger, one of the two. Uh, and and Vinny Treluzzo is uh, Russian River. He, he and his wife founded Russian River Brewing in Northern California. And I think like that you so it became kind of a regional thing you you get Vinny doing it or somebody else doing it out that way and then other breweries in that region kind of follow suit because they like what was happening there and so it became kind of a west coast thing initially and uh, i mean one of my favorite beers let alone ipas is bell's two-hearted which i think is is more of a west coast style uh you know and they use centennial hops which gives it that kind of orange, uh, like candied orange kind of note to it. Uh, but I, I'm not 100% sure on that answer, but I believe that that was really it. As you, you had one or two breweries out there that kind of started doing these, uh, the, these big hop heavy beers and they became, uh, popular with the beer drinkers and the breweries. And so other breweries in that region took, uh, took note and started doing them themselves. Are, are they easy to make? I don't, they're, they're not really 
different from a brewing process. Notably, it's you know you, you get a uh, you get a grain bill, a pretty standard grain bill. I think it's you're going to use pretty much uh, either pale malt or two row malt, and mostly, and then. Uh, then it's really about the hop additions and, and the, the, you know, the, the hop, uh, you know, the, the, so you can, you're going to add hops in two different ways. You're going to add them during the boil. So, uh, after the, after the grain is steeped, it goes into the boil kettle. Uh, the, the, uh, the work they call it at that point gets boiled and you add some hops at various stages during the boil. But then what they do with IPAs typically is in addition to adding hops during the boil, which gives it some bitterness and a little bit of aroma, the, the later you add it in the boil, the, the more aroma you're going to get. But then when you, uh, when you put the beer into a fermenter, you're going to let it ferment, and then you're going to do dry hops, which means you add hops to the, uh, to the beer in the fermenter after it is uh, fermented. And that those dry hops really give it the intense flavor or that dry hopping process gives the beer the intense hoppiness flavor. Uh, Kip and then Dave. Uh, so my question, I'm going back to alphabet and military. Um, so did you ever see the movie Guardian with uh, Kevin Costner and Aston Kutcher? Great movie. Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah, it's a super no great one movie. Has. He, great movie. <laughs> Mike never oh, saw that Men in Black I love scene. That movie. So, so when you were thinking about being a Coast Guard, were you ever thinking about being a rescue diver? Oh, is that the one that is that that one? Yeah. Okay, I did see that one then. Um, no, I did not. I did not. I just thought I'd work <laughs> on it. I, I, I viewed. I viewed joining the military as getting a job, essentially. It was a, a job that would pay me money and uh, give me some structure and send me, you know, other places in the world. That was kind of my whole, because I was 18. I, I did not have the, uh, the forethought or foresight that it could give me, uh, that, that I could do all these different, you know, big things, because I wasn't a big thinker. It was just, this is a job. Uh, I'll learn, I'll learn some kind of, uh, some kind of skill. I'll get paid for it and they'll send me around. I can do it for four or five years and then I can come back. That was my whole, my whole idea. Sorry. Sorry. It wasn't anything bigger and sexier and a movie like Dave and then Jack. Dave, can I jump yeah, in front of you like for a second? Going it back to them. Dave, can I just All jump right, in front? Um, I, I'm just thinking of a podcast rule here. If if some if Sean's going to walk around his house while he's on the podcast, should he be describing the rooms he's going in and out of and giving, <laughs> giving us a tour while he's doing it? I can do that. <laughs> All right, guys. Which room are you in now, Sean? Uh, all... I am in the uh, game game room down in the in the bar area right now. A bar? You have are a bar you area in your house? Anything? Nice. Can we see the bar area? Yeah, let's, yeah, let's yeah well, it. sounds like it should yeah, be a podcast a, studio. We have a we have a, we have a little bar in uh, in down in our game room. Um, not big, but uh, you know, a nice little bar. Got All we can see is your earlobe. Okay, that's better. Uh, currently drinking that. Nice. Okay. Has Kip ever had a drink in your bar? 
Um, he's had a drink at the house. I'm not sure we've sat at the bar. Um, the the bar has become more of a kids uh, play area. Uh, as you can see, they got their dollhouses down here. <laughs> um, so the the bar has become more of not a definitely not a man cave. It's more of a child's cave right now. Um, so so yes. Uh, but I, Kip, I don't think me and Kip have sat at the bar and had a drink, but uh, we've we've definitely had drinks. So. It feels like you're walking a long way to this bar. <laughs> oh, you're back. Big... I'm back. I'm back. Did we ever see it? The bar? Yeah. <laughs> well, there's not not a whole lot to see, as I said. Let me let me turn let the me camera around. Here. Turn on. the camera. Or turn the phone around at least. Well, I will. Give me a second here. It feels like you're doing a lot of laps. As you can see, yeah. <laughs> gigantic house. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Oh, that's a nice oh, bar. That's really nice. Uh, it is nice. Is it too like nice I for said, Kip? Is that what you're saying? It's nice for, <laughs> nice for the kids. Yes, it's great for the kids. Ugh. Okay. All right, Dave. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, like Kip, I wanted to bring it back to uh, military and movies. Did you ever see The Hunt for Red October? And after watching that, why would you never want to be on a submarine? Because it's so cool. <laughs> that, doesn't that answer itself? You, you've never seen it? Oh, I've, I've seen it, and that doesn't that, you know, seeing it, doesn't that tell you the answer right there? No. You you want to be on it with Sean Connery or Alec Baldwin. Well, that's a movie, though, Dave. You, you forgot all about the being underwater thing. Yeah, but you I'm, can shoot. I'm, I'm with Mike T on this one. I, do, I would not want to be in a submarine. That just seems it's so... Alpha, it's alphabet T. It's alphabet T. Oh. <laughs> Alphabet T. Kip, what's worse, heights or being confined underwater? Uh, that's a good question. I because um, I I have never really been in a submarine, so I just I would only fear that. Uh, I've actually you know conquered heights. I actually did Angels Landing in Zion, which was very difficult for me, but um, was able to overcome that. I'm not sure about submarine. I guess I you know I guess. Yeah, I think if you just go down and you think, okay, well, I don't know. I, I, I'd probably freak out. I'd probably. <laughs> it sounds like neither. I have a question for Sean. Uh, Sean, was one of your three deliveries on a submarine? Uh, no, not none were in a submarine, although I did do uh, helicopter medicine for six years. So. Wow. I, I don't mind I don't mind heights, but I can't swim, so I would definitely not do a submarine. <laughs> yeah, and you and you just put in a pool. Uh, we just put an in ground pool in. So, uh, are you gonna yeah. learn? Do you learn uh, how to swim? I'll, I'll probably just wear uh, floaties. Wear like, floaties? Uh, yeah, probably. Can we I'll, see I'll it? I'm on a submarine. Can we see it? <laughs> yeah, can we see the pool? Uh, can you see the pool? Yeah, yeah. Let's. We're gonna. I'm gonna have to do some walking here. Hold on. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll tell you about one of the quickly one of the coolest experiences I had in when I was in the Air Force. I was stationed in Hawaii, and we they, they have what they call incentive flights. So you know they they send some of the uh, enlisted troops 
up on some of the aircraft uh, that are flying missions locally as a way to say, hey, this is, you know, you're part of this whole thing. And, you know, you, you know, it's a big deal. And so I was able to go on an incentive flight on a uh, KC-10 refueler. So it's one of these big planes has carries about 50,000 gallons of fuel. And we flew off the coast of Hawaii and we refueled uh, uh, B-52s, mid-air refueled B-52s. Oh, uh, and got to sit in both the cockpit and down in the uh, in the refueling uh, kind of um, what I can't remember what they call it, like tube or whatever. And it was really cool. It's like like a video game, you know. The dudes in there with a joystick and uh, connecting, you know, expanding yeah. the, uh, the the boom and then lowering it to the B fifty two. And yeah, yeah. Do those planes take unleaded? <laughs> no, they take uh, JP four. It's called. Jet Petroleum Four. All right, can we see the pole? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Nice. I, I put that wall retaining wall in with the lights myself. And, uh, nice. Yeah, covered, winterized, and uh, the grass is planted. So we're, you know, it'll be nice for next summer here. Nice. nice. So, uh, will we be having the draft there next summer? Or next I would summer? love to have the draft there. <laughs> What's is, the size of that pool? That would be a definite. Uh, we can do the draft at my place anytime that we're not that we're in the country. How deep is the pool? Uh, six six. Okay. And what, what was that about? How many feet long or so? Six. six uh, wow. Fourteen by thirty. Okay. We can do cannonballs in there. <laughs> I can't. We can kick well, you and I can race. section for sure. With your. Sean, if you have your swimmies on, you'll be good. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be staying on the splash pad for the most part. It's not really pool season right, draft I'll, time, is I'll it? I'll wrap up the IPA discussion with one final one question for you folks. What is your favorite IPA? Ooh. Start with, uh, well, Dave is going to say Yingling, so fuck Dave. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So we'll start with uh, Sean. Wow. I would have to say my favorite IPA, if I had to have it in my fridge all the time, and that was my only choice, I would go Southern Tears eight day a week. I don't even know that that's an IPA. Uh-oh. Uh -oh. Declaration, declaration check. check <laughs> I could be wrong. It could be an IPA. It's a double declaration check. Let's look that up. Mm. Mm. Um, Mike you is have one um, I mean, I think it's hard to choose because I like so many IPAs, but I, oh, I blonde ale. Shit. So I do like. Um, nice try, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> I think one of my first IPAs declaration was... check. Declaration check. He came clean, but it's not an IPA. <laughs> yeah, I think the first IPA. I'm trying to think of what the first IPA I had, but I know, you know, traveling out to see Jack and stuff was probably when I really started to experience a lot of craft beers and stuff. So I want to say like Stone Delicious IPA. Yeah. There's something about that that just 
it's just sort of like the classics. So I, I would say that's probably my top three. That's fair. Jack? Um, I think my favorite one uh, is the Russian River um, Blind Pig, which is the original yeah. one. That's the first IPA they, they actually made and before they started doing the Pliny's. Um, it's just not available. I don't think they make very much of it anymore. It's only on, I can only get it at Churchill's maybe, I don't know, three or four times a year. Um, they'll have a keg of it. Um, but it's, they bottle it and it's, it's just a, yeah, I think it's like the, the classic expression of a West coast IPA. It's like 6.8, 6.9. So it's not crazy high alcohol. Yeah. Um, obviously from a local, I, I think the Mongo at Port Brewing is just fantastic beer. Um, and then if I had to round it out with a third, um, for very sentimental reasons, uh, the shoots fresh squeezed. Um, and that's all, mm-hmm. that's all about being a crime victim in San Francisco. And I don't know, I think I probably told you guys that story, but, um, that beer was, it just has a, I see it. I don't, I don't drink it very often, but I'll buy it every once in a while because it just makes me happy to think about the, the situation that we were under when Shay was going to Africa and all our shit got stolen. Um, that beer, yeah. that beer, I was drinking that beer when things got good after a really bad experience. Um, so those would be my top three. Cool. Dave is Yingling Dark, Yingling American Amber, and Yingling that's, that's Black. That's not true. Oh. Okay. Dave, not do you true. have a favorite IPA? Yeah, my favorite IPA is uh, Shark Attack, and I know it's not an IPA, but it's my favorite. Declaration check. Declaration check. Strong ale. Yeah. I I I already double red my declaration. Double red ale. Yeah, it's it's not an IPA, but I don't care. It's still my favorite. It's it's a it's my favorite in all categories. It's a wonderful beer. (laughs) Fair enough. Wonderful beer. Sean, have you ever had a shark attack? I have not. You have not lived, my friend. It's a it's it's a wonderful (laughs) beer. Can you get that around here? Uh, not anymore. Um, there were times where you could. Yeah, I don't think I you have. can anymore. Because I walked in, into my wall one night <laughs> after having one. <laughs> that, that, was, that, that was very funny. That was the bathroom <laughs> nose thing, right? No, 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 no. No, that was I had the I had the flu on that one. No, this one was I had a shark attack. I sitting in a chair, and then I got up, <laughs> and I I kind of stumbled into the wall and I knocked down, I don't know if you can see it. It says behind every good kid is a great dad. I knocked that down and broke it. (laughs) 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 So my kids and and Patty think that's hilarious. It is. Yeah. That was my, that was a one shark attack night. Sean, have you ever taken care of somebody with a shark attack? <laughs> no. Three times. <laughs> That's right. Right. As they were given birth. Yeah, we're unfortunately living in Pittsburgh. We don't see too many sharks in this region, but. Have man. you guys ever seen a shark attack victim? I have never. Would you like to? Yeah. Yeah. That'd be cool. I mean, I, that would I, be neat. I, I've seen one. I was 
I mean, it wasn't like a life-threatening thing, but I was on the beach when a guy got bit. Wow. Did you help? Well, it wasn't like it was, it wasn't that big of a deal. He got bit on his like calf and it was, they, they seemed to think it was a bull shark. Um, but I don't think it was a very big one. And the, the, you know, the bite radius was like that. And it didn't like take a chunk out. It just like punctured. It was pretty cool. Actually. It was like, wow, check that out. Cause you could see like the, the, the V kind of, uh, teeth marks, uh, on it. Um, you didn't run out and punch the shark. I, the I, I've, I've been shark fishing a lot uh, back in the day and off of, in New Jersey, we would, you'd go out and you'd catch blue shark and then you'd cut them open and you let all their insides spill out like chum. And that would, that would attract the tiger sharks and the, the white sharks. And that's what you wanted to catch. Cause those, those were better eating. Did that a lot mm. back in I, my high school days. I caught one as a three-year-old in Florida and it was a baby shark. It was like maybe, maybe baby two feet long, two and a half. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I was with my dad and my grandfather, and my dad said, here, hold this. I'm going to get a beer. And so I hold the, the rod as he goes over to the cooler to get a beer. And in that, like, 30-second period, it starts to – like zoom out. And so he comes running back and my grandfather came over and they helped me and I, uh, I reeled it in and they ate it. I think Kip has a question about that. Has a question about something. Hey Mike, Mike, what, what beer was your dad drinking? (laughs) That's a great question. That is a great question. So more than likely it would have been, so this was probably, this was 1969 ish or so. So he's probably just drinking Budweiser or whatever was prevalent down in uh, in the Tampa area at the time. I, Miller Lite might not have even been invented at that point. I don't think Miller Lite came out until the early 70s. Miller High Life. It could have been High Life. It could have been Bud. It could have been Stroh's. Uh, Sean's on the move again. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, where are you now? I am uh, walking up from the game room up to our family room, trying to get past my daughter here. Um, so that's where I'm heading. I'm heading back to the family room here. Sean does so, a lot of cardio during this podcast. Yeah. What kind of hat do you have on, Sean? Oh, it's the kids. Definitely keep my cardio going here. No doubt. All right. I want to make a bracelet. <sighs> Hey, Sean, isn't it past their bedtime? <laughs> it's past my bedtime. Past my bedtime. So, uh, yeah, Peyton will stay up, though. Tegan's already in bed, but Peyton will stay up now until um, Megan goes to bed. So probably another hour. Do we want to yeah, spend a minute on World time. Cup before we... Uh, we want to spend a minute on World Cup before we call it a podcast? Sure. Sure. Go uh, Morocco. So Mike, I, I want to mention Mike, uh, Denmark. Ocean. Yeah, that was, that was a bold move that did not pay off for sure. Oh, that was great. But, uh, whoever picked Croatia looking like potentially, uh, yeah, Tom, Tom, Tom and, uh, Kip. Yeah. Smart moves there. Although Kip took Germany too. So he screwed yeah, the pooch on that one. 
As well, they're they're not out of it. They could still win this. They could still. I don't think they're going to finish, and they're not going to win the group, though. That's true. Uruguay. I need. I need Uruguay. 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 That might be tough. Yeah, it's going to yeah. be a tough one. Yeah, Uruguay is a disappointing see- one. I, I could see that pick being made because Portugal seemed a little dysfunctional going in, but that first game they seemed okay. So yeah, it's going to be tough. I do like the Croatia. Yeah, the Croatia yeah, pick's a good one. The tough one is Argentina. We're going. Lots of folks are leaving points with Argentina because it's unlikely they're going to win their their group. They'll probably make it, but it's unlikely they'll win the group. Although maybe they could. Who knows. I don't know. Brett, uh, Brett's got seven on Belgium. That's, uh, yep. That's a big one to leave behind seven. Oh, I can't believe that. Uh, did you see what De Bruyne said? Is like, we're too old. We can't win. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Well, you know what? They also started, I thought kind of a watered down lineup. Like, oh, we're just going to walk right through Morocco. So, the guys they started, like Lukaku came in at like what eighty minutes or something. So Yeah. I, I mean, felt like they maybe were overconfident. Morocco could win Probably. that group, right? They could Cause, easily. Because they play um they Canada, Canada, right? Lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Morocco's... yeah we're all gonna yeah, so we're all Belgium. gonna miss those points probably. Belgium plays Croatia. Yeah, yeah, I was telling Madison about Morocco. She lived there for four months. I was like, you know, Morocco's about ready to move into the next stage. She's like, that country would be insane <laughs> to be there right now. How is like Lukaku Belgium? I don't. How does he? I don't know. Hey, did you see Matty Cash is playing for Poland? Well, yeah, that's because he couldn't play for England. <laughs> yeah. Well, and his, I guess his mother's Polish too, so right. he had some kind of connection. But right, he so he became a citizen just so he could play for their team. Yeah, and we're we're kind of all going to miss the Netherlands, right? Because aren't they in trouble in that group? They're in trouble. I mean, Who, is Ecuador. Ecuador. That one? Yeah, Ecuador beat Cotter mm-hmm. and beat Senegal, right? Or and by the way, can can we get to the? Um, uh, the grievance portion of this podcast. Oh, sure. Just, just real quickly, we can come back to World Cup, but you, you, you triggered me with Cutter. <laughs> MHL Podding in the corner is pleased to bring you yet another fantastic wheel utilizing oh, feature. Oh shit! <laughs> We're gonna try and drag the wheel into it. Never mind. Go for your grievance. <laughs> My grievance. We can is... do the wheel if you want, but you might not get it. Well, just quickly, Q-A-T-A-R. I had always pronounced it Qatar. Yeah. And then years ago, the media was telling me it's Qatar. Yep. And lo and behold, we're back to Qatar again. Uh, yeah, I agree. What the F yep. is that? What happened? Where did Qatar come from? And I, why were uh, they forcing us to say Qatar? I, I was thinking the same thing. Should we demanding and, and now? I guess it's okay to say Qatar. Should we be demanding That's that it. Kip not mute himself when he's talking on the cell phone with somebody? Because that could have been a medical thing. 
Got to be. I, it was, I was on call. There was, somebody was asking me about delivering a baby. <laughs> so. Did you say watch the podcast or listen to the podcast? Exactly. <laughs> Did you say hypothetically I could tell you the answer to that question? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I do have to sign off, though. I got to go. All right. Are you, right, are you called in? Do you have to go in? What's that? Were you called in to work? No, no. Catching? No. Just, was a girl calling you? It might be. Hypothetically, <laughs> it could be. <laughs> That's more important. It's time to get off that podcast with those guys. Yeah. All right, Kev. Hi, doctor. Thanks. So, so your grievance is just about pronunciation on Cutter. Yeah, I always thought it was gutter. Well, they said you could say guitar. Like you, you can use like a soft G in there, like guitar. So since you brought it up, play you, guitar. have you watched the, um, I know I don't want to hone in on your, your, your TV segment, but we're too late into the podcast to start one. But anyway, have you watched the FIFA show on Netflix? I have not, oh, but I have it in you, my queue. Gotta watch it. It's great. It's four episodes. It's great. It's so corrupt. Yeah, they've always talked about how corrupt it was, yeah, and yet it's still this guys in charge are it, still in charge, right? It, it's, yeah, it, it it's all about what Mike or Alphabet T was saying months ago about gutter. <laughs> oh, gutter! <laughs> well, they got a lot of money. They got a lot of money. I also hey, watched we, uh, we Dave. I don't know if you've watched it, the Barcelona thing. I just watched it on. Uh, Netflix, I think. Oh. It was about when Pep was at Gar- Barcelona. It's really good. As I, a player? As a, as a, as a, when he was coached there. Um, no. I just, I I, I, that. I, What's I, that? I, it's called um, Take the Ball, Pass the Ball. I just saw it for the first time, like last yesterday. And I said, I'll sit down and watch that. It's one episode. It's like a, it's more of a documentary movie as opposed to a series. So it's like an mm-hmm. hour and a half. Um, and um, it's, it's about Barcelona from 2008 to 2012 and how amazingly great they were, which is like watching Man City now. Um, yeah. But it's really good because you got all these old – and Messi, Messi was like a 18-year-old when he started. And, and I didn't realize that uh, Pep had Messi and um, uh, Thierry Henry as, at the same time as strikers on Barcelona. It's, it's, embarrassment it, of riches yeah it's really it's it's very it's a it's a good hour and a half worth watching I mean, it's, it's easy to be a really good coach when you have guys like that playing yeah. For you. yeah yeah ask bill belichick yeah yeah, yeah exactly but um but you'd like it it was pretty good okay i'll check that out yeah. I, I won't. Uh, I won't. Sean's keep, on the move. Sean is I won't on keep the move. This long on this one, but I did want to mention uh, at least tease this potential. Uh, 2024 spring of 2024 trip. Oh, right. Yeah, it it wasn't it. The, all the Springfields in America. It, it's not. So I will be in Vancouver in, uh, I think April 30th. I think I get in April 30th of 2024. And so I thought, all right, if I'm going to be up there, I might as well like do a little Western Canada swing at that time. And so I thought, you know, if anybody wanted to join, we could do uh, Vancouver, maybe do a train to Edmonton and then hang out in Edmonton, Calgary area for a little bit 
and then over to uh, Saskatoon. It sounds like a trip Jack has taken. Yeah, I've well, two separate trips. Yeah, but I've been the. If you're going to do Vancouver, do, of... if you're going to do Vancouver, do Victoria too. Well, so that's the thing is the ferry I am there. I am taking a cruise. I, I put a deposit on a cruise from Sydney, Australia to Vancouver, and one of the stops is in Victoria. Okay. Yeah, Victoria. Wow. Victoria is more interesting than Vancouver. Vancouver is just another big city. Victoria is yeah. a more interesting place. Are you checking? Yeah, I know, Jack, that you had been to both or to pretty much all of those locations. So I wasn't sure how interested you would be, but uh, that's why I thought, you know, if we mix in a train ride, that that could make it a little yeah, interesting. The, the ride across BC sounds interesting. The drive out to Saskatoon, eh, it's like Nebraska, yeah. but you know that that doesn't excite me all that much. Though I like Saskatoon. It was a, it was a, it was a more fun city than I expected it to be. Went and saw Frank Turner there, but um, Mike, is this or th this is not part of any Alaska? Yeah, I was going to say this thing. Is the Alaska thing. I mean, it could be. Uh, I was Are hoping to get. I was hoping to get up to Alaska in twenty three. Oh, okay. So that's why I wasn't. But but that is another potential is is to go kind of north through BC, potentially all the way up into uh, the Northwest Territory or Yukon Territory. And that would be that would be a different kind of trip, but uh, but still on the table. I'm, it's just like with this cruise getting me into Vancouver at that time. I just thought I'm going to take advantage of it and, and see. I've been to Vancouver once, but I've not been to BC or uh, or, or uh, I've not been to Alberta or uh, or Sas Saskatchewan. So I figured out in that area, I might as well take advantage of it. So you're flying to Australia and then you're spending some time in Australia? Exactly. Yeah, it'll be, I'll, I'll, I'll fly to Australia probably about a week before the cruise. And then it's okay. a 29 day cruise from. Holy uh, shit. 29 yeah. days. Wow. Yeah. It goes through three days in New Zealand, uh, Fiji, Tahiti, two stops in Hawaii, San Francisco, Victoria, and then into Vancouver. Yeah. Good God. Yeah. I told you I didn't want to be in this country in 24, so that's a good way to <laughs> not be in this country. You're not screwing around. So, yeah, definitely more time to, to noodle that over, but that is that was the idea is something in Western Canada. So uh, I, I'll, I'll just plant a seed because I, I booked my Airbnb um, for August of next year here Right there, Baker, Nevada, <laughs> for two nights on a weekend, which obviously well, is, it's easy for me. It's really out in the middle of nowhere. It's right there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's uh, right outside of the gates of uh, uh, Great Basin National Park, and it's new moon and the peak weekend of the meteor shower. So it'll be completely dark sky in one of the darkest sky places in the United States. Wow. So I'm waiting. I, Ginny, I don't think is going to go because it's like, it's a, to do it, it's like a big time road trip because it's not near anything. Um, so I'll, uh, when I confirm that she's not part of it, then anybody who wants to jump in, well, anybody who wants to jump in anyway, the, the Airbnb's got like nine beds, but um, 
Are you driving or are you flying? I don't, I don't even know yet. And... It depends on what I do, how, how that works. If it's, if it's not Ginny, then I might, um, I might make a longer road trip out of it. Um, yeah. but, um, but you know, my thought was I'd fly into Salt Lake and then maybe drive meander back like I was going to do last summer. Um, but it's way out there. There's, there's no easy way to get to it. Um, that's probably not too, too far from area 51 either. Right. That's down in like here somewhere. Is that further? Yeah. 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 yeah it's down More in somewhere. between. Yeah. But, uh, if you, if you go on to, uh, you just sort of Google the great basin national park about the dark sky stuff. It's like supposed to be the most, one of the most, one of the best places in the, in the world. I think it's like, you know, it's one of those, not a UNESCO world heritage site, but it's one of those places in the world that are super, super, super dark sky. So, and it just happens that weekend in August, like the second weekend in August happens to be the peak of the meteor shower. So even if it's just like two days, just fly into Salt Lake, drive down, hang out for the weekend, go back or something like that. But I wanted to do it this year, but it was a full moon this year. So I didn't work out. You said August? Yeah, August 12th and 13th, something like that. So... Sean, you got to get on one of these cross country trips. I know you got, I would actually, I know you got kids, yeah. but you know, the heck with that. Yeah, I know. I would. It's a little bit easier now, um, I think. So, um, definitely looking forward to that. I would love to do that. Definitely something, and I would love to go like that van, the Vancouver area. I know it's, you said it's another big city. I've never been there, but I heard it's beautiful. I would love to do something Western Canada. Yeah, it's pretty out there. Or the Germany 2025 road trip. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Not even kidding. No. Yeah, I like it. All right. Are we done for the night? Yeah, I think so. We can go watch uh, the Eagles dominate, right, Dave? It's 2020. Yeah. Like, I don't, know, I don't even cool. know what those terms are Glenn's talking about. Must have, <laughs> I, I haven't lived there in so long. I don't know what that stuff's about. So, Well, last time you saw them, they lost. Yeah. Part of the uh, free-falling of all things related to Philly and myself. So, <laughs> All right, guys. And have, welcome to my world. Yeah. Have a good one. All right. Yeah. All right. Night, gentlemen. Bye. Good seeing y'all.